Hello and welcome once again to Let's Talk About Public Code, a show where we invite members of our community who are actively working on public code. My name is Jan Einerle and one of the code-based stewards at the Foundation for Public Code. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Eric Herman. Hello, Eric. Hi, it's very nice to be invited back on. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to have you back on here on our 13th episode. And in the conversation today, we're joined by someone who's sort of like working on the small pieces of infrastructure for public code. Yeah, indeed. We're joined uh, by Ricardo Iaconelli. And uh, well, let's just invite him on. Yes. Hello, Ricardo. Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. Yeah, nice to have you here. Indeed. Let's just start. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. And in particular, how did you get into doing open source in the public sector? Of course. So my name is Ricardo, and I am in life open source strategist. I come from the programming and I come from involvement in open source projects, KDE in particular, where I have been a volunteer for about 15 years. I launched my projects. Uh, I did art. I did a lot of uh, technical work. And I specialized later to become an open source strategist. I led the open source strategy of Mozilla. I, I worked into, in several organizations from small startups to nonprofits, from big to small. And the way I started with public code was through this role at the, at the Italian government. Okay. So it was 2017 and Diego Piacentini, who was the number two of Amazon, uh, was called by the former prime minister of Italy uh, to lead a, a small team of experts digitize Italy. It was about 20 people with experts on one digital payment or digital identity, big data, all sorts of things like this. And they needed somebody to, to join the open source program to design how we could build an open source community around public technology. How could we do better open source and how could we in general buy better software, develop better software in the public and open source is a great way to do this. And so here I was. And then I saw the evolution of this initial team into something that became a department, a bigger agency. And now it's a part like the small unit of about 20 people grew to become a department of around 500 with several projects, with several billion euros under management. And of course, not everything is software development. I would even say a very small part of it now in percentage is software development, but, uh, but it has gone a long way. So I'm very, very happy about this. And perhaps a basic question related to that, what does the term public code mean to you? Hmm. That's good. That, that, that's nice. That's very interesting because I think most people believe the public administration is this uh, sort of ERPs or just like a very basic you know, way where you can handle you know, citizen requests or very administrative jobs. But in fact, public code is, is, is anything that's needed to, to run public administrations. And at least in Italy, that covers a huge range from, from schools to, to, to all sorts of services. So it's really not a different from something that any company would need or, or even, even normal citizens. We are thinking about solutions like office suites or places where to store files in the cloud, websites, CMS, uh, ways to, to, to read the news, to publish a website, to publish a static website, like things like this that are extremely needed. And it's a way, like for me, when I think about public code, when I think about the topic of today, I arrived here thinking it was very specific kind of software and I, and I learned very quickly that it is not. And in the end, it's basically software that anybody can use and anybody, uh, yeah, should be able to use, yeah. 
And so you mentioned it, it spans this wide set of possibilities here. So in Italy, how is it that you do public code? What enables you to do that? And how do you go forward with that? Mm, I'm a big fan of the public money, public code initiative Mm -hmm. by the Free Software Foundation Europe. I think this speaks a lot. Indeed. About what should be done. And thankfully in Italy, this is exactly what we do, or at least this is what the law says we should do. There is a number of legacy reasons why not. It's not everywhere all the time sure. like that, but at least like going forward, it is going to be. This is the way we, it's in the law. <laughs> I made just Saturday a presentation at a, a local conference where I wrote one of the big slides was the one what promoted was free software is the law. And what I mean by that is that really we have, we have two laws. It's a so-called digital code and it says that They are very simple. They state first, Article 69 says that anything, any software that is funded with public money, so that is developed according to some specification and the public administration has decided, needs to be released as open source. There are a few minor exceptions, but it's it's mostly related to secret services and defense, but mostly everything should be open everything normal should be open source. And the second one is the Article 68, which completes like the other part of the puzzle. One is about the making and then the other part is about the adopting. And so all software, all like any administration that needs a new software, new new service must give precedence to any sort of proprietary alternative. Like you cannot even, like you first have to go through the open source software, know what's on the market, make a comparison between that and only if you find major problems with that to the point that you even have to quantify how much it would cost you to add what's missing to the existing open source software, only then you can start to consider proprietary alternatives, right? Uh, So this is, I think, a very powerful combination that can kickstart an amazing ecosystem for open source software in, in the public. And how do they know how do they do that survey to find out what are the open source software options? This is exactly why, why the initiative uh, that they're presenting today was born and was conceived. And when starting with this strategy, we, we started uh, running a project called Developers Italia. Developers Italia was supposed to be the, and it is now, the point of reference for any developer that works for the public or that works with public technologies. And the very first thing we thought was, uh, you know, SDKs and how do you create an amazing developer experience and then how you allow uh, people to build on top of foundational blocks, say digital identity, you know, you make great APIs, you make great docs, and then this powers all sorts of public services. But then we realized that um, there are more basic needs that an administration may need because of competences, like somebody who chooses a software might not in an administration. Consider we have 22,000 public administrations in Italy. So you have even very, very small, I don't know, the, the, the local elementary school of a town with 300 people. So this is a public administration that needs to follow the law. And mm-hmm. we cannot expect all these administrations to have software experts. Uh, there are many people who are hired for different reasons. They have uh, administrative competences. We cannot just put this burden on them. And so one of the things that was most needed before going, like the advanced things are, of course, important as well, but to have a real impact, to really give an actuation to this strategy of open source software in the public administration, you need to 
give them the tools. And in this case, the tool is the simplest tool of them all. It's, it's a catalog, mm -hmm. right? It's a way so that it's a portal. It's, it's, a, it's like a store, like, like, you know, the mobile stores we have, we have on our phones where you type in, okay, I need whatever, a web browser, and then you get a list of web browsers or apps that, that solve your problem. And it would be amazing if you could do the same for software and if you could do the same, especially for open source software, because once you start doing it for open source software, you also don't have the problem of vendors because anybody can be listed on it. And so you don't have problems that you're distorting the market or doing other things because anybody could be reselling the software, right? And that's another very free benefit of open source in public. You can really sponsor its development, you can improve it, and then you know this goes into an ecosystem. It does not go to one particular vendor or one particular yeah, economical actor. So you, you're not introducing distortions. And this, which started as a way, like it's almost a utility that became a cornerstone of our, of our public procurement strategy, because we passed some guidelines that are officially law. It's just not the law that the parliament gives, like the, the, the law that is in actuation of what the parliament gives, but it has the same, uh, same strength as a, as a law. We made it mandatory once you, once a public administration has or uses some software or has developed some software, not only to release it as open source, but to release it as open source and add it to a catalog. And this is where we saw another second problem is we didn't want to introduce, also especially as we were a small team, we didn't know for how long we were going to last. We didn't want to introduce a dependency on us. And this made us think, it made us think, okay, so... We need a way for administrators to look for software solutions. Okay, we can build a catalog. We need to have a way for them to insert things into this catalog, and we need to do it in a way that no one can block them. So even if it's not existing and this is not so well maintained, that this does not block the overall effort. And this is the, all the perfect ingredients for creating something that is decentralized. And this is how the public code YAML files started to be in. Yes. So what is the public code YAML file? like in detail even perhaps yeah sure so we set out to to create a specification so we said okay let's let's do this so what do we need what exists already currently also in the market and we saw that a few other governments had started to think about the idea of a catalog of software it was mostly for reporting reasons right so not for allowing others to maybe make a list out of it. Some small lists were existing, but it was more for the idea, okay, I have spent like accountability reason, transparency. I've spent this money and this went into this software. And then, then you had a little bit of metadata. Uh, but what we were trying to do was, was something really more ambitious. We wanted to have a nice front end where people could choose really, we wanted to build a mobile like, like um, experience for, for those who needed to choose. And so, we started from the basic. We started to say, okay, we want this to be decentralized. Okay, so we need some kind of a reference document with inside all the fields that need to be machine readable, and then we can people can just take it, put it in their code, upload it, and then we are able to crawl all of GitHub or GitLab on various other repositories as we discover new URLs, and then crawl it together parse it and build a website out of this and then a search engine out of this, right? And we also wanted this to be fully decentralized and this is very important because then people are able to contribute, first of all, and second of all, was anything to happen to this initial catalog because of a change in government, because of anything else. Others would be able to replicate it. This information wouldn't be lost, right? So the community could come up and address some deficiencies that the public might have. 
or other countries could replicate and build the same thing or other countries could start to build software and think this is a good idea and so we would be able to pull in you know why in the public software we think country-wise like it makes sense from an economic point of view in the sense that we spend a certain amount of money we plan nationally but mm -hmm. nowhere else in the industry you have software that is national software is international by you know immediately it's not like this. um yes i see another yeah yeah but but somehow all, all administrations yeah. think like okay then i think software needs to be managed at the national level but you, you really don't have to do it so it was this and it was an international file format by default to be able to have this decentralization because I thought, we thought, okay, it would be so nice if Italy wasn't alone doing this, but say France would do the same and then you would be able to exchange software. And then one day maybe others that are not related to the government at all start to, to use this and start to adopt this, both writing public codes and, and adopting them. And so first thing we did was, okay, let's, uh, let's define uh, what we want and let's make a specification of we described everything in YAML because it was both machine readable and somewhat human readable and human editable. And after a few rounds of reviews with uh, within the government, we did the various experts of data and ontologies with the community at large. We released the very first version. We built the tooling around that. Everything, of course, is open source, and we used it as the first version of the of the Italian catalog. And so, from that first version to now. There's been evolution and there's also been adoption. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you see public code YAML being used. Uh, and it's been around for a while now. So maybe you can talk about how you see it used today. And perhaps if it's interesting, maybe some of the of how you saw it evolve to get there. Sure. So one of the key features that we wanted for public code and how it was designed from the beginning was that we wanted to include and as compatible as possible with any effort that was already underway. Say Taiwan had a, a GovJSON uh, format in the US, it was another format. I can't remember the name of right now. And there were a few other descriptors that were around. So we analyzed all of these use cases and we tried to make something that was as compatible as possible. What this means is we want to have fields that contain all the information of other uh, standards, but we also wanted to not make them mandatory unless it was really important that they were mandatory. Say, for example, with the name of the software or um, the version of the software. And with that, we were able to, with that and by, of course, uh, starting English first and international first and documenting the tools and so on, we were able to, to attract the first set of users that uh, started to adopt the software. And we have right now several contributors we as it evolved from a very also like uh, as an open source project but within an, an organization which was the, the italia the developers italia organization we want this only scale this to its own organization we graduated to uh if you go it's on github and it is um it is called public code yaml just github.com slash public code yaml this is the the organization that is now managing the standard what this means is Within this organization, we invite everyone to participate by sending pull requests. By there is a forum, you can ask questions, you can work, you can, there is tooling uh, around, and you can help the the format to evolve. Who rules this organization is a steering committee where we invite. So the only defining criteria that we chose for public YAML itself is that it's supposed to be serving the interest of public administrations. In the end, I believe that it's also a lot more uh, about 
this is this is one of the ways we we set uh, that is part of our uh, mission, and so we we have created a, a lightweight steering community of governments or of countries that participate to this. In order to participate for a country, you just need to have like you you like one representative in the steering committee and. This uh, allows proposals that come from anybody to be accepted into the standard. Of course, as it is a standard, we do not expect any sort of fast development on the standard itself. On the tooling, of course, that's uh, that's much easier. It just that's a very typical Git flow. But on the standard itself, we want things to be done with a very wide consensus. So the majority of the decision needs to be taken unanimously, or if not unanimously, there is like a long waiting time to make sure we get as close to unanimity as possible. So far, there is a few countries that participate with us. Uh, France has been with us from the very, very start because a few countries are already have nominated somebody in, in the steering committee and others are just participating or are just considering adoption. There is some news that is coming also from the European front, but I cannot, I cannot say it right now. There is nothing I can mm. say. But we expect good news from more, from more countries and more participants soon. Let's say, let's say this is this is one of the things on which we are working also on the diplomatic and the help by the diplomacy to get more people and more countries in. Yeah. So that makes me ask kind of two questions, and uh, maybe you can answer with the things that that have happened in the past, more about the future. That's exciting, but but for the past, what's been some of the impact that you've observed now that there is this broader participation with international uptake on the rise? How does that impact the administrations in these various places at different levels, because municipal all the way up to state level? What are you seeing as being the impact for the participants? I will, I will ask you to run the participants on both sides. So on one way, we mm-hmm. saw the catalog itself growing utility and growing usage. Uh, we really seen the statistics, mm-hmm. uh, both on the private ones, if you just look at the usage statistics, how the query become more and more relevant to what a, a public administration needs to do and to grow a lot in volume. And uh, also we have the growth in software. We have just on the Italian catalog about uh, 330 software solutions, which are completely open source and completely Italian. France has a comparable number I've seen on their catalog, although they include also some more standard open source software, but that is of course completely fine. It's part of the standard. And if you look like we, we publish some statistics, you really see the, the curve going up and the adoption picking up, especially as more and more like after 2020, digitalization of the state has really become crucial and, and a, key, a key strategic objective for the various governments. Europe itself is helping us a lot by setting, by giving a high priority to open source in the overall digital strategy for Europe. And on the usage part, we also saw, we don't have a clear data on this because it comes anecdotically and it comes through requests that we see. So we're not sure it's, it's for bias, but we clearly see a big trend of administrations, especially small ones, especially the ones that did not know about these solutions before and was present on the market. And we see the, a, a great increase of questions related to this software compared to other software solutions on the forum, on the private emails that we receive, on the context, on the, on the institutional context. So we really see this is, this is getting picked up. That said, I think there is still a lot of work to do. There is a lot of software that I think would be useful that's still missing and that uh, is part of a really great offering. And also the, the industrial, the, the industries that are the, the vendors of the public administration are keeping up, like they are starting to evolve their offering to the administration themselves with whom they have contact. 
and expanding it with open source solutions. And this is something that is not fully adopted yet. It's, it's getting there, it's, it's in, under development, but we see more and more how the vendors who adopted and propose software solutions that are open source to public administrations are really growing their business. And this makes me very happy because it's a positive, I think, I think it's really a positive for the whole country and the whole economy when you have know-how on open source, you, you create solutions that are more transparent for your citizens, that is more efficient, that are more secure. So uh, we really see pick up on both ways, both on the offer side and on the demand side. And this is, uh, this is great. It means then the ecosystem is working, is producing the, the results we wanted. Yeah. Yeah, and with this trend, and I understand that you can talk about news that you may not <laughs> release yet. What are your general visions for the future of the public code at YAML? Like, what is your dream scenario in, uh, like, say, five or ten years of time from now? So the thing is, I cannot say I cannot say much because there's not a real decision, but it's also not completely secret. This is I give a tip just to our most informed viewers, in the sense that there is some new development, and you can follow it on GitHub. And of course, it might turn into nothing, but it might turn into something. And what I see is, uh, I would like to see the vision of the of the public code YAML um, side of specification be true. And I, this sounds like a very boring uh, sentence in the sense that what is the vision of a, of a specification? But the vision of a specification is really like the vision of the committee itself and of the overall strategy, right? Open source and decentralization for me are two sides of the same metal. So, the idea that open source software becomes prevalent and the idea that then anybody could use this pool of information to create offerings of open source software for them that are tailored to the various uh, audiences that they that they want to support say that it can be school in norway or it can be you know ministry of interior internal affairs in throughout europe or throughout the world or you know uh, you can really build your own selections based on the format that once you have the information about open source software in a way that it's understandable, in a way that where you can federate all this information. This is a, a really big boost because it really gives a platform for adoption and for collaboration through to all of the, the actors involved. You know, one of the real key reasons of why I started originally this format and we decided to launch it and to invest in it, it was because there's a mean to an end, right? And the end is, is what I mentioned briefly before, which is I would like to fix the inefficiency and the situation of having every country having to replicate the same software over and over in the public sphere, which is, I think is a complete waste of public money. I mean, I understand there can be some difference or some local difference, but sure. most of the time they are minor. Yeah. If we're able to bridge this gap, then it means we have much greater software for our administrations, and this means much better services for our citizens. It means we have great software in general. We have seen it with metrics that it's maybe adopted or funded or, or sponsored by a public administration, but then becomes something that anybody could use, both companies and private citizens, and that's open source, that's ethical, that's privacy respecting and so on. And then general, a much better use of public money. And then all this money comes from taxpayers. Yeah. And that's all of us. And if we stop wasting it and we start like unifying the solutions <laughs> into something that works for everybody, it's, it's, it's like it's a huge win-win. And and with my experience with the public software, like I've 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 been now in I've not in and around the government for the past five years as uh, not completely fully in the government for the whole time, but for a big time as anyways part of the ecosystem at a strategic level. And I've seen how sometimes the problem is really this, the, the lack of these basic tools. 
And there's, this has a huge impact though, because the people who, who decide need these tools in order to be able to have the best decisions. So if we provide them with these tools, then they're able to take the, the, the good decisions because they're not, they're not stupid and they know what they're doing. It's just that sometimes they don't have access to all the information. Like we expect them, like, you know, the people who are more technological or more into this world know, right, know about. So this is the mean to an end, really. Like, yeah, but, mm-hmm. but software specification, like YAML specification does not make anybody particularly uh, excited by itself. But I think the overall mission <laughs> is the one that is the most. Right. So let's say there's a software package that's being developed by an administration. They want to participate. They want to collaborate. They want to use the public code YAML, having seen this broadcast or heard about it from a friend, what is it that they need to do to take their project and get it a part of the public code YAML ecosystem? So that's very easy. The quick answer is just right or wrong. <laughs> you, go, you go to, uh, if you read your specification, you can go to yaml.publiccode.tools. That's always the, the latest version of the specification. Mm-hmm. And here you find all the list of, uh, of builds, like you find examples, including a very minimal public code file or, or an extensive one that you can just modify so that it reflects what your software does. You take it, you put it in your code, and that's about it. If you want, you can submit it, for example, to, to our catalog on Developers Italia. You can send us an email, you can send a pull request. It's, uh, you find all things if you go on developers.italia.it. There's also this both Italian and English. Don't be afraid to express. You have to choose the language, but then you you have the English version as well. And that's the way you make it findable. Or uh, you can also write to me directly. I mean, I can send you a link to the pull request. It's not rocket science. Or you can Google it. <laughs> but that's that's the very basic. If you don't want or to edit a YAML file directly for any reason, there is web editors available. It's in the README. I forgot about the, the precise URL and. This is a web, uh, full web interface that you can use to generate valid public codes, or, or you can also import a public code, make your modification, and then regenerate a public code. Some contributors from Code for America also work to internationalize it and have their own fork so that you have also this additional editor. It's public code editor developers.italia.it and that's the that's our hosted version again France also has released one but you can use any they're all compatible right I mean you, you open it up you just ask you what is the name of the software what is the version what are the features if you have a script what is the license yeah what is the license of course very very important yes. what is the license because <laughs> we only allow open source software of course on it so you have to provide your SPDX license identifier and then this is it I mean it it's a lot of tools and a lot of convenience, and then, but the, the, the key is you create a structure file called publico.yaml, you put it in your Git repo, and good to go. All right. And what if I, the person who's watching this is about a level higher, perhaps I'm in a ministry in some country overseas or to the east or something like that, and I want to set up my own national catalog. How could I go about to do that? How would I think about that? Okay, so um, this is a little bit uh, more tricky in the sense that it is you can already fork whatever we have in the in the Italian administration, like in Developers Italia. We have you you have the whole stack. You have something that is already generic. So, for example, the parser of public codes so that's completely generic and will take your data and put it into an Elasticsearch. So then you can do whatever you want. You have a crawler of the web that understands Git 
and you have the web editor that I mentioned before. So with these components already, you can then build your own UI as you see fit. Uh, we are also generalizing the UI we have now. And so you will see coming soon, it can see it already in GitHub, or if you listen to this podcast a month or two from now, you will, it's probably going to be live. It's a generic public code UI. And with this, you can build your own catalog completely independent from the Italian one. Instead, if you want to rely on our crawlers and on our on the work that we already do, because we already have a list of software and so on, we are exposing APIs that Honor can just can just pull from and then again put it in their search. They don't have to think about maintaining the infrastructure, and they can just replicate their own. And the nice thing about this is that this allows also other organizations, say the Public Good Foundation, but it could be really any organization who wants to build their catalog. And maybe within the catalog, say, I just want software that's available in whatever language, or I want to have software that is precisely cut, or I just want to make a selection and and present what are the best software according to me, let's say. They can do so, right? Anybody could do so. And so um, still have the access to all, all of the power and all of the data because the format is completely decentralized. One thing I would like to mention that I forgot about the, the people who want to adopt a public code is that, and I really want to stress because it's not obvious, is that this file format is not only open to public administration. It's really open to all open source software. Mm-hmm. We started from a public administration just because it was a need, but in the end, I'm very happy we just named it public code and not public administration code because it's really about all open source software. And even if you are not a maintainer, and you, but you, you know of some great open source software that you want other, uh, the public to know about, you can write a public code. And the best way we suggest is just give it to the maintainers. And then so you can, can integrate this work into their, what they're doing. But if you don't want to do that, uh, you can also, there are ways where you can just maintain the description of a third-party software. So you can say, for example, you want, we have Nextcloud in the catalog, but say you want to have Nextcloud listed or a packet like that, you can just build a public code for Nextcloud, not have them necessarily integrated into their original GitHub, but still have it, have it listed. And this way you contribute something that can be very important because at that point, the software itself is going to be part of the catalog. Mm. Nice. And did you have any surprising examples of that where software that you didn't really think of as being something that would necessarily be really interesting for public administration or serving them that showed up in the in the catalog that you were happy to see there? Well, there were, there were tools definitely from the more, more traditional uh, open source. So for example, KDE uh, released Gcompri, uh, mm-hmm. which is an educational suite which is completely, absolutely perfect for schools, but it was just not the first thing I would have thought of because I, 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 you know, I have a bias now in the industry that everything should be, even though I spent 15 years doing KDE things, uh, that everything is web-based nowadays, but, but it's not true. And actually this is a great software for schools. One of the very first uh, softwares that were submitted from KDE yeah, it would actually would be very interesting. And what I would love to see if if somebody from the community is is listening and and, and has a, has an instinct to, to work on that has a has an impulse to, to to contribute in this way. We do as free software community already have several of these metadata uh, structures that were not good enough for us to build a catalog on because of uh, several reasons. Now, you know, I, we, we, we analyze all of them, but this is why we couldn't take it to the RPM specification or another one. 
But what would be interesting would be to build some kind of converter from those formats to public code, right? Because this would, would well, create yeah. such, such, a, such a much bigger number of software, maybe that you don't have to submit all of them, of course, maybe just submit the ones that make sense. You don't want to submit every new utility to the, to the catalog because that doesn't make much sense. But any kind of solution like this would be, this would be a way to keep them evolved automatically. Mm-hmm. And also keeping keep, keep in mind that with public code, there is really a lot of utilities. Like one of the problems that we heard about was, okay, but how do I make sure I keep this file format updated every time there is a release? And so, for example, we built some little automations. There is, uh, if you are on GitHub, you can configure your own GitHub action that say monitors the, 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 the file, that the public code file is always valid. So you have CICD, it monitors that whenever you do a release or you tag something, you have this as the latest version within your public code and so on and so forth. So there is countless automation and integrations and conversions that we can do. And I think there is a lot of potential there that we are not tapping into and we could, uh, it would be very interesting to, to go there. That's a very interesting idea and actually growing the ecosystem perhaps quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about public code YAML and a little bit of its past and future. Is there something that we failed to ask you or something that you wish we would have asked you that, that you'd like to talk about? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I am thinking... Uh, uh, there is... Uh, like, I could go through... I, I I think I have I have more of a call to action to give to the community. That's really like I would mm-hmm. love to see. We do have public servants on the forums. We do have some interest from the community, but I think this is one of those small key enablers that is not talked about very much. But if that like you know like you just need a little bit. You need just to describe your software. How long does that take? An hour, maybe. If you have screenshots, let's say two hours. But this is really a game changer. We have seen the adoption of the packages who have this identification to be, to be very successful later on. So if you have good projects, or if you know about good projects that you think might benefit for some of it, please just submit one. You know, not, don't have to submit a hundred. Like if, even if you're not a maintainer, but do mm-hmm. one. If there's a hundred people doing that, that's another hundred more software that can be extremely useful. And... On, on the other side as well, I like to stress that like, in Italy we have these laws. Like, now there is going to be more and more interest about providing open source software to, to, to administrations. And one of the things I've seen is that the market is not, not so ready to provide all this offer. There is a lot of opportunities as well here. So if you are experienced in providing services around public software, start to think about the public administration, which is something that's not in the rider of many corporations. So, but there is a lot of opportunity. We've seen a lot of, like we receive daily or between weekly and daily, so several times a week, questions from administration who are very interested in adopting open source solutions, but don't know to whom to ask for support. Mm. So think about mm-hmm. it both ways, both submitting software and then offering support. This is These are all things that are today very needed, not tomorrow, like today. Yeah, indeed. And we're seeing the other side of that coin as well, where we're seeing more vendors learning how to transition part of their business into software development services and hosting around that, as opposed to trying to sell a software package. And so going from licenses 
towards the development services. So we're, we're definitely seeing that. The industry is uh, has its finger on the pulse of that. I think that it's pretty obvious that there's opportunities there and that vendors are, are looking to take advantage of them as well. One question that we always ask our guest who comes on, like, who would you like to see be interviewed in the future on this show? Ah, good question. Maybe I could nominate my dear friend, uh, Stefano Maffulli, who is the executive director of Open Source Initiative, who has mm -hmm. been doing a lot of awesome things mm -hmm. about artificial intelligence and in general. I think he's putting so much great energy in, in, in OSI. Uh, yeah, would be, would be nice to hear from him. That's an absolute splendid recommendation. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. I, I like it. And also, if you want to go through the through the Italian catalog, there is a few vendors. I, I don't feel extremely comfortable in naming them directly in this podcast, but there is people sure. who are doing a really, yeah. really great job and are part of the community, the answer, they provide great uh, services. So if you want to go around and look at the top vendors and maybe invite them and ask them to tell their success story about how they built a good ecosystem around open source software and open source services in the public administration at the even at the local level, that's uh, that could be another something mm -hmm. that's very interesting. I guess we'll have some homework to do, Eric. Indeed. Yeah. All right. This has been a very nice chat. I, I think this is also a good time to sort of wrap it up here. Yeah. And thank you. It's it's really been great today. Thank you. You can subscribe to the podcast at podcast.publiccode.net. And also, we'll be posting the video up on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel, uh, so you can watch our previous episodes there, or you can share this one with a friend. And if I can add a shout out, I really want to have do a shout out to your work because I think it's extremely important, oh, and I think you were doing you. a wonderful job. So, yeah, this is not agreed, and I really, but I really, it, it comes from my heart because I think more people need to do what you're doing or need to know about what you're doing, and I think it's it's wonderful and it's really making an impact and in open source, at least in Europe. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we will be back hopefully in about a month or maybe at least one more episode this year. But I think until then, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.